Look left. Look right. Yes, you're in a place. Ever wondered what goes into making great places? Join Jeff and Matt as they speak to placemakers across the globe and have a chat about what goes into creating the workplaces, communities, hotels, restaurants, civic spaces, even cities that we all use on the daily. Okay, welcome to the Places for People podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, pay respects to their leaders past, present and emerging. So hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm Matthew. And we're going to be speaking to strategists, creatives, place and property professionals to find out what goes into planning, creating and running some of the coolest places on the planet. Today we have with us Stuart O'Brien. Stu is CEO and founder of Houston Group, a strategic brand and design agency working with some of Australia's most iconic brands. Houston works with organizations such as Qantas, UTS and Lendlease to help define what brand means to them. They also have helped define place brands and identities that have transformed some of the most high profile developments in Australia and across the world. Stu. Each episode, we start by asking our guests to paint a picture of their favourite places, either near or far. What place holds a dear place in your heart? Yeah, thanks. Good morning, everyone. Places are one of the things I love. And, you know, when you talk about place to me, one gets very personal, you know, about home and, and comfort and family and, and safety, you know, and my own time, you know, and I kind of joked about that when I was thinking about this question, my, my spa, outdoor spa, screen to watch the footy, you know, I can sit in it. It's this beautiful north facing light. I can see this massive sky above and it's just my place, you know, and it's a place where I can, you know, just feel quite centered footy. Screen, beer, water, you know, um, all the elements. So, and day and night and yep. winter and cold. And, and, and then, you know, for me, other, other places just really draw me, you know. So, and I, I think that's the thing. Like we're talking about the South Coast of New South Wales, you know, I'm never born there, but have, have just felt a draw to it, you know, some of those places with light and calmness, you know, and then flipping that when I think about, places that I feel something is is getting on that plane. You know, I must say, I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to work for Qantas for over 20 years. And when Mark, that, that first class lounge that Mark designed almost 15 years ago, you, you go up that stair and you just feel like I'm going somewhere. There's just a recharge that happens. And, and then I think about all the great restaurants and bars and cafes and streets that you walk down. They're always places that take you somewhere. And I know that's both in the literal sense, but wonderful places have this tendency to draw you. They have a capacity to put you in that mood, you know, and that frame of thinking that you're looking for. And so, you know, it's something I, I take really seriously, you know, it's something I, I actually sometimes think in the modern world, we've forgotten about the, 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 the fine grain DNA that goes into actually making it great. And there's some great, you know, we're lucky enough in Australia to have some of those special places, you know, that I think are both natural that have been then enhanced by us, but then Equally, some of the most incredible, iconic places probably in the world. You know, yeah. pretty lucky to grow up here. It's an interesting kind of difference between the natural kind of places and those man-made places. Do you have a preference? I think as I age, I do. You've known me for a long time. I'm a pretty vibrant out there, go, 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 go guy. 
It's only probably my mum that says at some point in time, I'm going to throw a switch and just stop and do nothing. You know, I've lots of businesses, lots of investments, you know, really successful company, but I can see that time coming or going and just sitting on that rock, you know, at Jaroa where you can then reflect and you've earned that time to soak up nature because I do think it's around you and I do think it's, it influences us. So young, you know, silly, crazy on a pathway to prove myself, urban, global. vibe, density, big lights, day, night, it drove you, me. Increasingly, that contrast is pretty amazing. Well, I mean, it's amazing. I'm just taking a bit back by the spa to the first class lounge. It's such a vast difference of place. I've too been lucky enough to be in the first class lounge as well. I actually think Qantas has made that their brand. So people know Qantas as their first class lounge, whether you're in Sydney, London, LA. Talk to me about a bit about how they brought the brand into that and, and people know Qantas first class lounge. Brand and place. It was really interesting if I think about Qantas. It was one of the, you know, as a 25-year-old, I really started to see the cross-section of brand into place. And this isn't a shot at architects or interior designers, but the university courses is, you know, often, often architecture is taught about materiality, about customer centricity, about flow, about, you know, moving people through spaces and often macro forms. And actually probably wasn't the first class lounge, but the first time we launched City Fly in Australia, almost 20 years ago now. Weirdly, Qantas came to us first before the architect. When we launched City Flyer, we launched City Fire without a budget, like without advertising, without positioning. We activated a terminal space. We identified lounges and we identified check-ins and we ingrained a, a sense of offer within an environment. And back then, I remember copying a heap, I think, from one of the architects working on saying, you know, you've just plastered the walls in graphics and you've plastered the walls in, and, and it was done beautifully. It was it's a beautiful aesthetic, but it was, it started with the message and it started with the story, not with the place, if that makes sense in that instance, it started with a brand. So I think since then, I've been really respectful of often the commercial spaces that we build have a function and form. In that lounge, ironically, I don't want to see a lot of Qantas, that what you would expect, the reds and the consumer Qantas, that, that, that is the pointy end of the brand. That is the experience that should feel most reflective of the audiences that sit in there. And actually, by getting that right, you get it right. And it's the symbols in there that Mark was so talented on. I think the kickback to the first time as you come up that escalator and you get the arrivals and departures kind of board that flicks over and the materiality and there's some slight touches of red in the lounges that you'll see and in the leathers. And so in that instance, I think is the brand by being the best the brand is to that audience in that instance. You know, it's very then calculating about experience and brand from first to business to economy. And then equally on some of the services that you feel, whether you're a platinum, silver, gold, or bronze, that how did we in the days line up those experiences to make it feel complete, but also I'm having a type of journey through from the fixed or from my phone or from my card in my wallet through to the seat in the plane. It's interesting you say about the those symbolic gestures, something that fascinates me. How important do you think symbolism is in terms of creating place? It's at, it's at the heart. Like one of the things we talk about in cultural transformation is symbolisms and, and identity. Airlines then into place if we use both. I was lucky enough to create Jetstar and work on the creation of Jetstar. And if you close your eyes for everything that you know about Jetstar now, when we created Jetstar, it was actually positioned more premium than Qantas in essence. Plain silver, 
So it's heavier to get off the ground, right? So you'd never do a low-cost carry with a, a silver plane. The spec was, Verve was the kind of color that we wanted, and then silver, and we had a Mercedes kind of silver color. The seats were leather, right? If you specced it, metallic paint, leather seats, <laughs> you know, white, you know, it's like the spec wasn't a specification of a low-cost carrier. And what we did was what we under, and this is where I think what you're talking about symbolism is the symbolic presentation of that product to market. And then we let price determine where it sits not product experience. And I think place, I think Westfield, you know, if you think about the money Westfield, what, what Westfield did and what the essence of Westfield was, was when you entered that place, whether I was in Mount Druitt, you know, whether I was in Parramatta, whether I was in Bondi Junction, that an amazing capacity to make people feel symbolically they are in an experience, you know, even though it was a mall, right? So symbolism and, and materiality and highlights and detail are really critical. So you've done that through visual elements. So the leather creates the higher, you know, performance base in your brain. How did you then position Jetstar as a, I suppose, a medium star size carrier? Where it was started, it was a low cost carrier. It low was cost really, carrier. Yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was what, probably the second or third in the world um, launched after Ryanair. And it was disrupting because we saw, a, you know, you've seen things like Zara come in where all of us in the West or all of us with lots of money want good things. Mass manufacturing and manufacturing aircraft allow us to now have that. So to that point, if you go right back to the launch of Jetstar, it was very, I worked with an incredible ad guy called Ted Horton at the launch. We used Magna, you know, she was fun, she had energy, she had a boldness to her. It was the fun part. And so that was the permission part to engage in that, in that low-cost carrier. So it gave you permission. What we never wanted anyone to do was feel they left with a cheap product. I didn't, you know, and we went through all the namings and Alan was my client back then and we didn't want Fair Go Airlines. We didn't want Bonzo. We didn't, like, you know, I think one's just launched in Australia with a name like that. And people don't want to be reminded once you make that. And look at Ikea. Like, if, think about your space. Like, no one walks in or out of Ikea feeling they've taken a cheap option. You know, they feel they've got a functional, beautifully designed, beautifully considered something for their home. Yeah. A, d- a designer piece. A designer yeah. piece. And, and, and that's, you know, I think everything we're talking about is that ability of designing something up front, that ability to consider something that it is worth it. You know, what sets us apart now often in brands or when you've got mass, dis- mass creation of anything, buildings, cars, it comes down to a design aesthetic. It comes down to a feeling. It comes down to the, ser- the hardware and software that we wrap around that person to make them feel something. Yeah. So we've had some good chats about some really good brands. So some brands that people know, know they trust, they understand that they're going to get good value, they're going to get good design. What are the, some of the, I suppose, the biggest mistakes people make when creating that either that place or that identity towards a place? Yeah. Common story and common language and being very clear of the role of each of the contact points. You know, and I think sometimes mistakes get made, and let's use the airline or a a building. Sometimes people will chase a segment and the segment doesn't want to be chased. You know, and you even think about Kmart. I suppose I'm only talking about the good things because it's very hard to identify the bad things, if that makes sense. You don't know where something went wrong. I see a lot of disconnect sometimes, I think, in buildings that, and look, we're new at this, guys. There's only been the last decade that the unlocking of large-scale transformation, you know, where you've seen a step change with unlocking of government land or reurbanization or revitalization of large pockets of land. Up until that, we're pretty restricted to 
I bought someone's house, I bought their next door house, I bought the next door house, I bought, and I now might be able to put something bigger up here, right? So, of course, we're very building centric. So, to answer that point, sometimes people were very restricted. You know, they didn't know what they had to give up, except for the MLC tower, you know, which I think is a wonderful lend lease example where they understood there needed to probably be, a, you know, if we gave a little bit of space back at the ground level, the height above is probably going to be great and it's going to have a better ground plane and a better experience. So there's different roles, if that makes sense. So I think when people don't do the thinking around whatever they're designing from a kitchen <laughs> to a, a car park to a, an outdoor, what, what's the role of that in the experience and, and how you want to make people feel? Absolutely. So just coming back to that is obviously the consideration up front. And I know that Houston have worked on a lot of big urbanization type projects. And I guess arguably people would say potentially like an architect or a designer might be the first port of call for a precinct or a a development of that scale. Is that correct? Or why do you think, you know, someone like Houston Group coming in is is better at that early point in time? Yeah, look, I don't think it's better. I think it's complementary. And I think the land economics, so if you start with a development manager, you know, people need to understand the planning restrictions, the planning controls, the opportunity, the land economics. At the end of the day, we don't live in fairyland. Like we can't come along and build what we want and put in what we want and spend what we want and expect a return, right? It doesn't exist. Equally, I have such deep, deep, deep respects for architects, designers, like to conceive something that's eventually going to be built, to be able to draw that on a piece of paper, to have a scale of something of that scale that works still still blows me away. And every architect I speak to wouldn't even remotely think about getting their pen out if they didn't have an engineer next to them, right? So if you can't build it, we can't create it, right? And if you can't afford to build it, then you can't think about creating it or building it, right? So, so it's not an either or. It, it really isn't. But I think marketing, so let's use the term marketing or customer or strategy, I think we have a part to play in a common story of about a place or helping unlock perhaps how that fine grain stitches back into a city or in a competitive nature as well. Because I think we sometimes forget when we walk into these buildings, those three genres, we're in competition often. Absolutely. And if you leave it to the end to pick up the phone to me, you have left it too late, right? And the core principle of marketing, 1965, when we moved out of industrial revolution to consumer-centric revolution, is the four Ps. And everyone forgets P1 is product. If you get the product right, it's then diminishing returns through those. And too often developers and builders and my clients think that marketing is the last P, promotion. And that's when the mistakes get made. So it's not either or or better. It's a complementary role. And Toyota is our biggest client globally. So I'm working with Toyota Motor Company with their brand, but we don't even call it brand anymore, up in Tiedem in Thailand to build cars that you guys won't see for eight years, but they've understood to become a mobility company and transform that our story is now writing the brief so that the engineers and the designers have a common language, have a common understanding of place, in this instance, a car or a mobility experience. And now everyone's focused on the same story. It's complementary, mate. It's not either or. But when you don't have it, and I can name two or three projects we both know where perhaps the architect was wrong. Often architect has a very defined style or a very defined genre or equally can't stretch to do the type of statement a site may want or actually ironically making too much of a statement 
a site they want. Yeah. So would you say it's about as well being the voice of the potential customers, the potential consumers of that place or product, whereas, you know, someone else may not start from that point of view as to who the end user is? I think success comes, you know, I always say, like, I think there's truth in success as many fathers, right? If you miss one of those dads on the way through, you know, bands, like you don't have a good drummer and you go, oh, gosh, we don't have a good drummer. Ouch. Right. Our bass player's crap. Like, I think it's acknowledging as we've expanded our intellect of design, architecture, place, as humans get more simple but more complicated, if that makes sense, and I really think we're getting simpler and more complicated, that having that voice and having that differentiated. And when I talk about voice, common language for a project, you know, often each of those genres that we speak about actually all talk in different languages, right? They all walk into a room thinking everyone in the room is going to understand them. And what good strategy does or good language does is in a brand, so if this is where I cross over from my brand work to my place work, is a, a consistent language and story. Wrap that into a vision or a CVP or it's like, guys, it's just about us all knowing the path we're all on, whoever you are. And that's what our job is, storytellers. Like our expertise is to write great stories and great stories have a great beginning, they have a great middle, they have a great end. People can read it and know what they have to do with it. We're the storytellers in the middle of it. We're the guys that make it feel more believable than it is or gets more commitment for capital or a better site or better partners. Yeah. Yeah, I love the term storyteller. I mean, we mm. obviously bring you back to what what's core to our business is interiors, commercial, building, design, architecture. So we're looking at how we can create places for people within their work environment. And what we've found over the last 10 to 15 years has changed dramatically but if you fast forward over the last 24 months, obviously without you know using the big C word, life has changed dramatically. People aren't using their workspace as a workspace. They're using it as a place to come to, to collaborate, to meet with people, to actually be a part of a business. H- how do you translate that to, to what you're seeing in the market from a place? I love working from home. I think it, I, I understand it, why people travel and things. But what I'm seeing is it worked when we all knew each other in teams. Right? And I'm seeing in big organizations, so big clients which will remain nameless, it was fine for two years because we didn't have changeover in leadership or I didn't have changeover in middle management. When it's suddenly starting to come around to review time and it's suddenly starting to come around to promotion time and it's suddenly starting to come around to advancement of the business, people are actually starting to look left and right and go, oh, hang on. Have they got the ticker? Have they been in a room? Can they pull it off? Like all the humanity part of work, which we all thrive on. The soft stuff's gone. So even when you're talking then, you're still talking about it in a job sense. C- correct, yeah. Right? Like so, and I think the problem which we're now facing, I can see it, is we're still talking in the job versus the people in the job and what the people need. And equally, the people in the company, what they need and what the company needs of their people. We struggle. You know, I think we've got people, we're back to Thursday and Friday, we had a job go off the rails last night that would have been fixed if we're in the same room that would have had a sensitivity or a tactility to it that we would have picked. Instead, the email that drops off the end and the not, like, when you're not together, you, you don't know what's happening. And if you leave it to digital, you don't know if they're having dinner with their kids. You don't want to intrude. You don't know they're having a problem. Like, so it, there's this sense of doubt that comes into a, a human relationship when, you, when you're not in the same room. I think we're in a really tricky place. 
Then the next piece is obviously culture. Yeah. So we really, really drive a strong culture within our organization. So I do a lot of traveling between our offices, you know, across the country through two years of Teams or Zoom or whatever you're using for a, for a platform. The culture's changed. I wouldn't say it's better or worse, but it's changed. People are having virtual drinks versus going down to have a drink with a friend or going for a walk. How do you feel culture can be rebuilt within a place versus a workplace. As with everything, technology can enhance or detract, right? And I feel we haven't yet worked out the enhance. The little drinks and stuff are cool. Like we, when my guys did it, we did cooking and we did this and we did that. And it was, it was kind of fun. But gosh, you only had to walk out in Sydney last weekend and walk back to a game of footy or back on a street. You know, you don't have to go to the city surf or feel, it, feel the energy of people on the street again. Um, I was lucky enough to just come back through, went to Europe for two weeks, like the rest of Australia, and people out on the street again, like you can't replace it. So to your point, I don't think we should be trying to replace it. How does technology enhance that? How do we make it easier? How do we set up some, we've got some guidelines, you know, guidelines of how you use it because I can see it being quite restrictive. How that influences what you guys build and how you put things together. The irony is I still don't think the old world and the new world knows how to work together. So often I do see when people go back into the office, they're all running off to small rooms, put on their earphones to get a quiet zone to talk to the thousand people that are still at home, right? So we haven't yet monitored all that. We used to do it through Monday to Friday, you know, nine till six. So we actually had a common language, back to what I talk about, Brent, a common understanding of when we do that and then we don't do that. Now it's like, Am I home? Don't my kids? Like, we haven't worked it out. And designers like yourselves, I think, are going to have to build more hybrid spaces, no more set and forget. And I think this comes right back to the heart of development, where if you think about Westfield and retailers and commercial spaces, how do we not make things so fixed? How do we make things feel more flexible? How do we not expect it to be designed and finished today? Yeah, absolutely. Right. That's yeah. the biggest step change it's I think like that we're going to see. Long-term partnership in change and iteration over time, I think is, I mean, it's such a good insight. It's such a big thing is that no longer are you doing a, a workplace design or building a place or, or what have you, and then it just sits there forever. But there is a big role to play in partnership and change management over a long period of time. I agree. I know this sounds odd, but you know, I could see a time when I buy a company like yours and we sign on a three-year contract. That's not a three-year build contract. It's a baseline fit out. My people are going to use the space. We're going to observe how they use the space and think about what we need as a business or the change in the marketplace, a little bit like the WeWork space that we're in now. And we're going to adapt it. Now, this is fixed. It's fixed and they they depend on the consumer or me to come in and out and pick what I need here. But the commercial space is fixed. We move into it. In the future, I can see where the commercial spaces are going to need to be adaptable based on what their people need and based on what's going on, right? And how do you do that? How do you make that function? How do you make that economic? How do you put a value to that, right? That's a very big question mark at the moment. A lot of you know your B-grade, your fringe landlords are looking to reposition assets. But they're not just doing it individually. They're actually getting together with their neighbor. Yep. So back to the whole, um, you buy one house, you buy two or three. Now it's partnerships. You're getting two and three buildings in Surrey Hills, you know, in Darlinghurst that are repositioning assets holistically. So they're creating a place for people to come, shopping, entertainment. What do you see the next step or the next iteration of that is? Oh, I think you only have to look to the past, look to the future. You know, again, development became a dirty word here somewhere. Developers somewhere 
got a, became a dirty word. And I, it still is the problem with our industry. When did development, such a positive word, become such a negative or a fear for our community? So we have a brand issue for the whole category. That's one, a lack of trust and a lack of history that we have to fix, to have permission to actually build the type of spaces that the architects you talked about and the economists, like, I've never met someone that wants to do something bad, right? So we've, we've got a problem there. We've got a gap in the marketplace there, right? And a lack of understanding. Density is good. We have not explained to everybody the most incredible places and spaces in the world are dense, are people, work. Density is good. We haven't got yet in Sydney or Australia that density is good. We haven't run that mandate. So what I what do I see in the future and that what you're talking about is like people want to live, work, play, exp- they, they, they want it easy. Look at the hubs of Europe, right? Look at the great cities of the world. We pushed everybody out <laughs> and gave them no jobs, gave them a pizza hut and a Chinese restaurant gave them little access to education or facilities and then expected them to get on with their life and travel two and three hours. It, it doesn't work. So a lot of the reurbanizing of the cities and making them rich, but with good planning and good transport, like I think the scale of the metro is something this country and city needed so long ago and hats off to them for being so bold with it because it's those connection points that allows what you're talking about to really happen and it allows for people to feed off that infrastructure to create the type of places people want. But you need people. You need people spending money. You know, you need to an ROI on it, right? People need to value yeah. it. That's right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If there's no people, there is no place. Like It's as simple as that, right? And you see that in places that don't have that diverse mix of types of place, so residential and commercial and food and beverage and all of those things that if they're not together – they're not co-located, they're not easily accessible, that you have a place that may be vibrant throughout the day, but then at nighttime, everyone's gone or vice versa when that doesn't work. So, you know, it's hugely important to get to that point. And there's a sustainable economic model in that too, which we need to think about, right? Because those healthy little retailers or the people are medium businesses then, right? Like people that might want to come in and have a go and not work for someone and start something, believe in something. So when you then got someone behind the counter that's their business and they love it, suddenly the whole place becomes more personal. Suddenly they're not there clicking in, clicking out and going away. They're there to make a business, to build connections, to build customers. You've even got to come one step deeper about that and the type of people that that attracts and the role each individual person. It's not like just another big Coles or another big Woolies or another that sucks those kind of baker, butcher, candlestick maker out and pulls them into, you know, one big listed entity versus having a local butcher. And and around around density allows a little bakery to thrive and not feel like they have to compete with a car park at Westfield, right? Obviously, Houston, yourself, have worked on a lot of different urbanization type projects. And what would you say is but you've seen as the most successful, I guess, in the, those early stages? Yeah, look, I think Barangaroo, we learned a lot. You know, we're sitting in it now. You know, I smiled like I, I created one Shelley Street. You know, I did Streets of Barangaroo. I'm pretty proud of stretching the city out. And I think Lendlease and we all did an amazing job of showing a city can stretch and building a fine grain and making a place. And mm. again, on the back of, you know, the government committing to Winnie Walk and connections, right? Like not making things hard. You know, I love Darling Square. I think Darling Square was the first time we didn't go to market with asset classes. And what I mean by that, having to do ITS Tower, like needing an asset for the commercial 
Anadara needing a resi product. You know, what I'm most proud of with Darling Square was it just feels like it was always there. Trying to reconnect that, you know, Rob Deck back then said, forget the red line, let's talk back to the city versus putting that kind of red line up. So I think I think all those projects, Melbourne Quarter, I think when we stopped trying to be Docklands and we said, actually, guys, it's Melbourne. And, and that's the bit of the strategy and naming and some of the magic. People don't think it's Melbourne. What do we call it? Let's call it Melbourne Quarter. People are not going to think there's going to be any streets at Barangaroo, like or any fine grain streets at Barangaroo. Yeah. Like it's based like, on our symbolism, I guess. Symbolism, identity. That's yep. the comms job. That's the storytelling job. That's the tell the story. People are not thinking the place is going to be. Confront the fears, reassure, but then make sure you deliver on that. Like that's where I'm saying we're a complementary part. I can't write a story that doesn't come to life. Yeah, when you kind of get to that early stage practically how does Houston do it I know we talk a lot about you know getting in a room and sitting next to an architect but you know what do you guys actually do how does does that work art and science it's a creative process but I always say good strategies founded so that was what I'm saying the you know when you think about it it is it is using the data it is using the land economics. It is using all the things. We look to competitive analysis around what's in the market. We think about what the need is, right? And so we kind of split it out into twofold, you know, with our place print. One of the disciplines we bring is the story about what we create and define versus what we sell and tell, right? And it's really as something marketers, developers, we need to think what we build or how we build something isn't necessarily how we're going to position it and, and tell it. So really helping, I'm working on, what the actually best example at the moment is Western Sydney International Airport. So we're in on doing the whole Western Sydney International Airport place strategy and destination and really build, it's an amazing project to, to be involved in. How do we do that? We look at the future, you know, we look at the community we want to create. It's a marketing thing, consumer at the centric, you know, and then we apply our normal strategy kind of disciplines and then we're creative over the top. Right. So trying to find that distinction, trying to take the knowledge that you have and then write something that feels distinct, write something that feels pure, write something that feels true. So yeah, make no mistake, it's a it's a it's a science plus art, <laughs> as I'm sure with architects, with everybody, you know. So you can't put your foot on it, but when you get it right, the story comes to life in front of you, you know, and then you build into that, if that makes sense. I mean, the pressure must be intense. You you're, you're talking about a couple Pretty much the biggest developments in Sydney over the last sort of 15 years, Western Sydney Airport, Barangaroo. How do you take that pressure and then, I suppose, turn that into fuel? Oh, I, I love my job. Uh, like it's, it's, it's my thing, which is why I keep it at 28 people max. I carry the black pen, like, you know, which my clients stay with me forever because uh, I, I love it, you know, and it's actually the challenge, which is why it's called Houston. We have a problem. It's kind of sits at the at the heart of what we do. So the the projects I like, I'm also doing a lot of work with Toga, you know, on Tech Central and being involved in a few of those projects. So for me, it is a pressure, but pressure gets the better results. You know, it actually scrutinizes the process. And and I too I think, you know, back to our category, marketing and design, I sometimes think our we haven't trained our strategists to go deep enough yet. We haven't trained we haven't taught people to go deep you know like even with my guys now like i'll I'll know more about a site often than the development manager i've just had the instance where i've kind of put out all these artifacts that i found in a rare bookshop you know which i'll take back to the city like i did at darling square against the city to prove that what those street names were long before even maps right or gazetted stuff so you got to have substance to your story you've got to have the curiosity to want to do it so i love the pressure 
And people that work in my team are great and love it too. Like it's self. If you yeah. don't love it, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we're kind of getting to the end of things and we like to have just some final quick fire questions. So uh, I don't know if you can prepare yourself to give us your best possible answers. <laughs> the spa. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about it the plane still. Yeah, that's all right. It could be. So, Stu, what's your opinion on the number one consideration for successful placemaking of the future? Sensitivity. You know, really thinking how you want that place to work, you know, and, and, and the role. And the role might be a simple functional one. Then don't make it something else. Like just know what you want from it and expect of it. Yeah. What's the coolest thing that you've seen in placemaking in your, in your kind of days of working across the world? I mean, what makes something cool as well? It'd be yeah. good to know what yeah. makes something cool. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> cool you say that. When you say it, I, I, I go to a place, so I remember – I watched Cold Drops Yard and I think Heatherwick, uh, an amazing studio. And the pancreas station, the juxtaposition between Cold Drops Yard and just walking back into something that was just so beautifully restored with the standard across. I stay in the, stay in the standard and have breakfast in the pancreas, right? Like for me, that's, I love it. Yeah. Right? I'm in London. I can jump on a train and be anywhere, a plane, you know, like stay in the standard and have breakfast in the pancreas. Like it's, that's, that's my pretty cool. Right. That's, that's pretty cool. Right. That's, yeah, that's my ask me what yeah. I want to do. That's my weekend right there. You know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how how do everyday people, I suppose, get involved in creating places for people as well? Like what are some some helpful hints that you can leave us with? Yeah, and I just bought a house at Jerome and it's really interesting. I've gone to some design architects and designers. So it's quite I went to Mark, you know, who's who am I going to trust to build my place, right? And I know most of the architects. And it's very different how the people have responded to my brief and responded to me. And one architect firm that I've, you know, in particular, really started with the narrative and the story and wanting to know our story. And I think that ability for anyone to really define what you want in your place. And I think it's hard because it's a different language. So for your clients that, you know, your clients, especially, they're like, well, what do you mean? I just want people to turn up to work. It's like, no, is, does this have to represent your brand? You know, so when people like in an ad agency, or is it so? Is it a segment defining experience? Are you neutral? You know, are you friendly? Are you, is there a formality to this? Do people think you're a lawyer, but you want them to feel like you're a muso? You know, are you a muso, but you want to feel like a lawyer? You know, is there a, a different moods that you need to do where you actually want to be serious every now and then, even with your staff? Like, or is it all paper planes and you know, kind of madness? So sit and take time. Think about how you want it to work, but then equally don't be so fixed on an outcome, I think, you know, and however you can build some flexibility, I think, in the future, which I think is tough for you guys, right, is hard. It's going to be really hard. I mean, let's go back to telling that story. So if we can we can go on the journey, understand what the client's needs and wants are, tell that story all the way through, we're, we're getting a place for people, right? We're creating totally, something. Totally. And I think function, you know, material, like we jump to materiality very quickly. You know, we jump to like- uh, like furnishing is like, oh, oh I, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're set up to to get the job ready for the builder, you know, and, 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 and well, how much is it going to cost? Because that's really important, right? So somehow we need to find a way of an A package, B package, C package to go, look, these are the zones and, you know, how do we save money here versus there? And I, I do see in commercial especially too much kind of, 5,000 bucks a square meter from the left side of the building to the right side of the building, right? It's like, well, hang on, how did that just happen? You know, like it's because we get on the machine quickly, we get on the production machine quickly, which we need. So start with a story, try and engage with people. And I'm the brand and marketing guy. So I'm saying like, 
when you ask me that question, I think, what's the role of your place in the presentation of your business? Traction of talent. You know, so I go back to a, I spend lots of, and I say it all the time, you spend money on staff, you spend money, like Toyota dealerships, right? And I always laugh at the guys, so you spend more money on acreage than you do on advertising, right? You spend more money on staff than you do on advertising. Why are we talking about advertising? <laughs> right? like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, th- th- it's, it's, it's important. Mate, that was absolutely awesome. Some fascinating, fascinating points of view. And obviously you've been to so many places across the world, worked on creating so many places. And yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to get those insights from you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. It's yeah, cool. thank you good very much, you. Thanks, Have a guys. good day. Thank you. The Places for People podcast is made for you by Creo and NPM. We believe if your people matter, your place does too. Check out how we can help with your place design and building needs at placesforpeople.com.au. Whether it's a brand new workplace for your team, a bar, restaurant, a retail renovation, or a million things in between, we've got you covered.